are Squawking Dead, a podcast pulverizing episodes of the Walking Dead universe. Sometimes we give you news, sometimes we make you laugh, but most times, <sighs> this time, I'm hoping, in a way, we go deep. Uh, I'm your host, David Cameo, and I'm joined by Sharon D. A.K. Blazy Gardner and Survivor's Tier member, Jasmine T. I know, that was a little weird, why did, right? Why did you throw the tea in? <laughs> I don't know, it's... it's because it's like, I think of tea in, in England, and it's the Jasmine tea. Jasmine, spilling the tea. A new segment in Squawking Dead. Jasmine's tea. <laughs> yeah. You're doing the science wrong. <laughs> You're very enthusiastic, Jasmine. Anyways, just I want the world to know that I came in late today, but it was for a good reason. The reason for this is th- I can't recall the last time I did a Squawking Dead thing, which was, I know it sounds stupid. I paused, took screen caps, and literally transcribed everything I was seeing. Because there's the newspaper, there's the patient sheet for Barker at the end. The back of the newspaper that Dennis is reading, which he ends up showing the front, which is a completely different headline. So I had to write that shit down as much as I could. It was really the headline that was the only thing that was legible. There's the patient sheet that Kublik happens to have in her safe. And I say the words happens to have because I have interesting feelings about where this is all going to go. And I, I'm so, I'm so excited. I'm so excited to finally talk, to talk about this episode because I, I walked away with it on first watch with one feeling. And then on second watch, I'm like, oh, something may be going on here. Anyway, I, so I'm just saying this because I, it took me longer than usual. I gave myself three hours to watch and transcribe and make notes. My feeling is that we won't have as much to talk about. Like I can tell you the things and we can't really go into it because most of it's a visual. I can tell you what it is, but it doesn't make sense unless I put it out in a blog. So watch out for the blog for this episode. There'll be tons of screen caps, tons of dictation on what's on the screen, and it's probably going to be recap style. So look out for that. I don't want to do another blog. I'm too lazy. <laughs> I'd rather just keep it in the same episode. So Because it, it ties everything together. You can watch the thing as we talk about it, and there's more to it. So apologies to my compatriots, but it'll be worth it in the end, I hope. That's always the hope. Even if sometimes when we go down these research things, it turns up nothing like the barcode on the pa- on the patient research seat sheet. Not the patient sheet for Barco, but the patient sheet found in Kublik's office. I literally took an image program, scaled down the image to two colors, and then uploaded it to a barcode scanner site in the hopes that it would scan something. And here's, here's my, like, in my head, I'm like, guys, I'm going to crack the code. It's going to say something funny, like, Rick is alive or something. You know what I mean? Like, this is what I'm thinking in my head. I'm, I'm going to be a fucking hero to the Walking Dead Universe community. Cannot read. Cannot read. This doesn't look like a barcode, dummy. Dummy, idiot. What are you doing? Stop podcasting. Stop. Your life is over and meaningless. That's what I got. So here I am, everybody. Failure. Failure. But I'll post it anyway so that... Maybe somebody else can do it. Maybe somebody else can scan the barcode. Because I took a couple of copies of the barcode. To see Did you was... try taking it to a till? A, t- a till? Oh, no. No, there's web-based uh, scanners that I can use. I know. Um, that was a joke. Yeah. <laughs> like a Tesco and a Marks and Spencer? I work at... Oh, no, I don't anymore, actually. Never mind. That's why I saw the Marks and Spencer box behind you. <laughs> so I was like, okay. Yeah, I don't work there anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I disavow Marks and Spencer. Did you guys enjoy this episode? Did it give you fruits with which to eat and partake in? I liked it a lot more than the first four of the season. I don't even... I, I don't even know why so much. I guess it's maybe because we got to see everybody and they were somewhat together again, even if it was just for a little bit. Silas, Elton... Everybody but Hope, you know? It was better than the last four. I, I enjoyed it a lot more. 
Which is what you say every time, though. I've noticed this. It's like, yeah, this one's better than the last well, one. Well, there it's better than maybe which by is good. The end, it's a good time. Maybe by the end, I'll really be into it. Right? Maybe maybe by the end, you'll look back and go, it, "This this season was great." <laughs> oh, was, you see, is this like was, Westworld where we just don't know what's going on through the entire season, and then it all makes sense at the very end? I have a feeling that there's a little bit of that going on. I'm gonna say what I always say. Uh, Kill Iris. I Iris. <laughs> <laughs> and that was definitely highlighted more in this episode. Yeah, I'm feeling that a little bit too. I think yeah. I, there there is some nuance there, obviously, because it's me. Because I'm seeing things, but it, overall, I, I I will say one thing about that. And I don't know how much we're gonna, we are going to want to talk about Iris in this episode because there's a lot more. There's other people in this series, okay? <laughs> oh, but half of my notes just say I hate Iris. <laughs> I will say I like watching the other characters play off of Iris's sentiments or attitudes, even if sometimes those characters aren't in the room or with Iris. For example, an example of not in the room, how Leo sometimes sounds like Iris, at least in the Hope's Dream, but also like in real life, I gotta talk to Lila. I gotta do my thing. I gotta do something oh. stupid. Oh, that was the one thing. In while, and I probably will try to post the reaction video that we, we created at the end of recording our uh, episode 161, which is Fear the Walking Dead 703. We actually sat down, we, we created another recording, we did a reaction video of me watching it for the first time, and that was the one thing that almost got me standing up out of my seat. Do not talk to Lila Belshaw. <laughs> Do not. What are you doing, Leo? We I can't can believe everybody her. here isn't... Everybody, I can't believe everybody here isn't holding his ass down and being like, no fucking way. Oh, God. Hope saw the tattoo on his hand. Why didn't it? No. No, Dad. Do yeah. not go do that. When you get tattoos, it's usually an allegiance of some kind, you know? A, a heavy metal oh, band. Uh, your mom. Gangs. Oh, get gangs. Don exactly. Affiliation. Don right. June. Well, that's the best guy. I want to read what uh, Alani is saying. Interesting episode. think this one should have been the first or second episode. And that's actually why it took me a little bit longer to take notes because, man, there was a lot there. It felt like the way I felt when I was watching the last two episodes of last season of Walking the World Beyond. There was like a lot happening, a lot going on. I'm like, I can't miss a thing of this. I can't believe... Uh, this is great. Alani also says, Iris equals this sister... To Hope is such a jerk. a jerk. She wanted to see her dad, but didn't want to go with Hope. And yeah, we'll definitely talk about that soon. But her fear was that they would be trapped there. But Hope is resourceful. She wouldn't let that happen. Okay, I, I agree with this. And I, I think that I think they both don't want to be trapped there at this rate. By the end of this episode, I'm like, oh, I don't know if this is a thing that we want to be in. Uh, oh, and Mario just swooped in just now. Hi, Mario. Welcome to the show. I have a feeling that Lila will bite the Hi, dust Mario. by the end. Yeah, I think I, I think I mentioned that. Mm -hmm. But you know, it's funny off the heels of the last episode where I said Leo is dust and Mario saying Lila is dust. I mean, mainly because of what she says at the end, being useful to Kublik, my last chance. I'm really intrigued as to why um, Jadis is using Gabriel's last name. Last name yeah. and Stokes. And Stokes. I didn't know oh, oh, it's because it wasn't there. Yeah. What? Uh, well, so here's the thing. Was that in the trailer or was, it was that in the in trailer the for next week? I got the trailer and the stinger confused. That's fine. But this yeah. you're stumbling into a problem that we had on our watch, which was the stinger was supposed to be a huge reveal. But at the end of the episode, they decided to play the preview of next week right before the credits slash stinger. What happened? Everybody knew that Anne 
slash Jadis called herself Stokes before, spoiling the reveal in the process of the stinger at the end, Mm -hmm. where we see her at the first, you know, because they they went to the bother of having her with the helmet on and and all, and saying, Kublik has been recalled indefinitely, and in her place will be something Stokes uh, in the preview. So we got the preview, we found out who what her name was, but the stingers reveal that crazy awesome reveal was ruined mm-hmm. because of that preview that we got in AMC plus. So it's like, what was the purpose of that? And you, you're obviously watching on download sites, right? Yeah. But you got, you got the, I, I saw the same thing you did. Yeah. Oh, you saw, you saw the preview too. Okay. Yeah, okay. Because okay. it's, because it's just a record. It's just streaming the AMC plus version. I see. Mar- Mario <laughs> says warrant officer Stokes, which means we all got hoodwinked yet again by a TWD universe show of a reveal that was you know, and now spoiled just before the reveal. Like, I mean, can they not do anything right? I thought it was intentional. <laughs> you could tell it wasn't. Because, and here it is, I'm writing in my notes. I wrote this exactly in my notes in capital letters. I said, stupid reveal. Because she's in her damn helmet. That's no way to talk to somebody. You lift up your visor to talk to somebody. You're not out in the wild fighting walkers. That's the whole point of the visors to not see. Or the executioner analogy, I said. But, like, are, are you Lila's executioner? Are you? Just so Maybe. Mad. Eventually. <laughs> Maybe. Just to kind of paint the picture, we haven't seen Barca since last year. And it happens to be that this is the fifth episode. We see him disappear at the end of Tiger and the Lamb when you see that post credit scene with Kublik and her apartment and the appliances, and you get a really good sneak peek into the city, and I'll get into why I think it's a city. This unfortunately means that I might be, I'm most likely wrong about my idea that the Civic Republic is a republic of many settlements. Or it could be, and this is like the capital city. I don't know. But he is sent to a reprocessing center? I I forgot what it it was. I think so. I think that was what it was. Basically to get an attitude adjustment. It's great to get this scene and to simultaneously see Huck uh, avoiding Barca's fate at the same time. Barca just elucidating a, a certain feeling like, how, how can you not be unaffected by this? Um, and Huck twice having said, I was maybe affected by this by being undercover and seeing what happens to Barca and what doesn't happen to Huck. And that's intentional. Mm-hmm. It's totally intentional because it describes something. It, it describes what happens to Kublik. But we see Barca finally a, a season later. He is TSA481. Okay. So he's going to be joining. I hope. Oh, an A. Oh, no. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So he's going to be Walker. He's going to be a Walker, essentially. Ah. They hired you. Or, I don't know. Maybe the gang will intervene somehow. We, we don't know. Ah. I didn't think about that mm-hmm. after I wrote that. I was like, hey, t- okay, TSA, I have to get to this fucking show. <laughs> now I'm here being like, oh, man, we hardly knew you. I want to know exactly what it is that Lila has failed at so far. When she says, I know this is my last chance to get it right, what what exactly are they trying to get right? I mean, that, I guess that's the big mystery of the season. So I don't think it's a mistake or something like kind of akin to what Dennis did or what Huck did for Dennis to make up for his mistake or whatever it was. I think whatever it is, it has to do with Dr. Abbott, to be honest with you. I think, I think something happened to Abbott and Abbott became a test subject. I mean, this, this is obviously something that is apart from the, like, I guess you would say the official research. I mean, I, I think this is, this is something that nobody else knows about. It's obviously not the fungus research or anything like that. This is something that's secret and hidden. So what is it that they're trying to do that, that nobody else can know about? I agree. Are they working against 
what they're trying to do with the research facility? Are they like trying to weaponize Walkering instead of the uh, instead so of the other thing? To talk about this. <laughs> I'm so excited. <laughs> I tell you why. In this episode, what is described throughout some of the clues that we get throughout this episode is a distinct lack of understanding or a lack of awareness of the CR to the Civic Republic military's operations. Now, what's great about this episode is you get all of these dimensions within the clues, within the newspaper, within discussions, within what you exactly saw and talked about. Because yes, it is an underground military research facility that's that's underneath the regular research facility now i think the doctors that we see the the yeah the doctors that we see like ellis and siegel and even bennett i think they're working towards what is at least the uh ostensive view of what needs to be done like you know accelerating the decomposition but i wonder if what they're doing with abbott is harnessing the lack of decomposition and maybe trying to harness it to living like a long time or slowing down the decomposition rate or entropy or I know there are a lot of doctors talking about slowing down the they're trying to increase longevity these are longevity studies and we are on the cusp of actually in real life trying to slow down aging and extend our lifespan and so to watch this and watch them try to slow down, you know, allow people to live forever, this kind of idea that maybe the military is pursuing, I don't think they're working on a cure. I think they're actually working on China. And, and not only that, I think they're walking and chewing. They, they want to walk and chew bubblegum at the same time. They do want to end the zombie cure. I think that's, but I think that's actually kind of secondary. I think they more than anything want to pick the winners and losers that get this longevity thing. That's what I think is going on here in, in the Lila lab. <laughs> this is why I love this episode. It gave us so much possibly I'll say this as a disclaimer possibly is going on in this, this series and the greater universe, maybe, but I doubt it. They're not going to let this go beyond the world beyond seriously. They're not, this is not going to affect the walking dead. It's not going to affect fear of the walking dead at all. If they are working on longevity, why is that a bad thing that needs to be hidden? Well, like, isn't that, they'd be like, oh, look, we're making it so we can live longer and get rid of the zombie. Why is that? And I mean, oh, they're evil. Would, would we qualify that as an evil thing to I be think, doing? I, I honestly think, so you draw a very good question that uh, for our standards, We'd be like, yeah, have at it. Go do what you need to do. The problem is the doing you need, what you need to do part. I think the way that, like everything the CR does, the way they're going about it is monstrous. What they're doing, denying Dr. Abbott a burial for starters, <laughs> possibly having genocided an entire, entire population, most likely to at the aims of trying to get this done, maybe. But how would that tie into taking out Truth, Omaha and, and don't Campus know. Colony? Don't know. But I do know that part of the reason why they do this is to get the CRM to stay in power. What if they need, like, fresh walkers to experiment with the longevity or the decomposition things, like, in mass? Like, what if they're like, oh, let's see if we can do it. Will it work on this mass no. magnitude? We've been wrong about what the A stands for, I think. I don't think that the A's are explicitly walkers. I mean, what if that's why they took out Campus Colony and Omaha? Because they needed a massive amount of fresh walkers to experiment on, like, some something to do with the herd. 
okay, so wouldn't they capture many of these people on the way out? Or wouldn't they just inject them with the zombie virus or whatever? Or like just tainted blood or like, do you know what I mean? I know I'm not answering your question, really, because I, I wonder myself, but we don't have all that information. We do see a sheet of test subjects or testing the, the telemetry of the attack or because it is a communication sheet, they, but they are communicating mm -hmm. on the vector and telemetry. I saw the word telemetry of from 1040 that day uh, the, of the Omaha incident. So it's referred to as incident 0200. Start of the incident is 10, 10.3702, so down to the second. The events is 12. There's 12 separate events. Uh, subjects in this massacre of Omaha is 13,471. So they're testing almost or maybe more, more than 10% of that population. And the timeline, yeah, the timeline it shows is 1020 to 11 o'clock. So it all happens in very short order. Or maybe they're trying to build up a Walker army so they can attack Portland. Maybe Portland needs a much bigger... <laughs> Walker Army, so they're using Omaha and Campus Colony as Walker soldiers. Or to take, and yeah, right, to create Portland. a major column, maybe. Uh, an even bigger column. Mm -hmm. Wow, that's frightening. But let's go back to test subjects, because I want to talk about Barca and what we may be assuming incorrectly is what an A represents. I, I honestly think after what you said, they may be testing out the A's, may, or maybe test subjects for the longevity study. And Abbott, at least, sounds like he was a failure. And maybe that was the thing that Lila was talking about. It could be that. And it could be even that they had to make him an A subject because maybe Lila did the very thing with Abbott that Leah was about to do with Lila, which is kind of tell them the underbelly of the thing. And, you know, maybe Abbott wasn't originally mm -hmm. part of the underground study. Maybe she was just one of the researchers and professors, you know, discussing above. And she let something slip to Abbott. And she had to say, hey, you want to take a look at this research facility I've been working on, the podcast I've been working on on the side? Do, do you know what I mean? And then like, bam, and then he becomes one of the subjects because he looks pretty taken care of, even as a walker, I guess. But I think Barca is, they're testing like lung function. Okay, we're going to go through the exact, the patient stuff and exactly what's written down here and there in the post show, because I don't want to waste time in the main show. Sorry. I know Jasmine, I was going to give you your feature, your light. And no, you are going to get a feature for the unedited episode recordings. And I'll show it on the screen and everything so that you can see what I'm talking about. I, I do feel like these, the, at least the, the A's, the A subjects are for the underground study and the B subjects may not be. This is all the military's doing it at the very least. Wait, but if that's the case, why would Rick turn... Be a B. That's exactly what I was thinking. Yeah. Yeah. Because she mentions that he's strong. So why is, what does strong mean B? What is B? Yeah, what's that? How is that relevant? You're right. So how does that fit in, right, to what I'm saying? I don't know. I can't really say. All I do feel like is that I know what, where the top side is working on advanced decomposition, like how to eliminate the walker threat as a threat for good. I think the underground laboratory is, is harnessing the power of the decelerated decomp which could result in longevity, increased longevity. Let me go to Alania's comments. <laughs> she says, Lila has basically failed at everything concerning the cure. But again, I think, I don't think it's the cure. She's apt. <laughs> and Mario says, if that's the case, they're trying to make the CRM new umbrella from Resident Evil. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly what I'm saying. <laughs> and he also says, didn't they call bees walkers with that machine on their back? Oh, right. The bee, well, see, that was the confusion. That's the, the unit's called the BO4s, but they call the walkers the BO4s too. But I don't think those are bees though. I just think that's what the unit's called. Maybe B is for baseline in the study. So they have um, 
your A, which is your test subject, and then B, which is your baseline study for the longevity thing. In the underground study, A is A is for the test subject, and maybe B means like a baseline Meaning a, and a live subject or that we can study. Oh, okay, well, maybe, maybe. Mm -hmm. God, I hope so. <laughs> Be a very bad reveal on the Rick side of Rick movie side of things, because like, wouldn't that be wouldn't, wouldn't that be funny? Like, most of the movie would be him in an underground lab, and then by the time everybody gets to him, he's just a walker, right? Great movie, everybody. Got to see. Yeah, please, please don't. Got, do got to see Andrew Lincoln in action. <laughs> very ethereal. But but you know, what? let me let me go back to Sharon's comments on why would the military do this? Why would the military work on longevity though? And why keep it from the public? Because you asked a very important question. And I honestly think it's a matter of priorities. Because I think if the Civic Republic found out that they were using the walkers, rather not eliminating the threat, because the whole purpose of them being installed nine years ago, the founding compact of the Civic Republic is that the military would be in charge for the next 10 years. That's, that's what we read in the newspaper. And at the 10th year, you know, at the ninth year, they would start doing the, the transition of power to the actual people so that they can run everything. But why I mention this is if, if, if the citizens of the Republic or found out that they were, instead of trying to study the elimination of the, the Walker threat and instead harness the power of walkers to maybe even create a great, a greater threat, let's just say, or, uh, or, or wasted time trying to figure out how to keep humans alive longer rather than trying to eliminate this threat. I think that, cause you know how people are, people get angry about all sorts of things. So it doesn't surprise me that like when Kublik says the civic Republic protects people from themselves, she says this in this episode, which opens a little bit more of, at first we thought it was, you got to do bad to do good, right? Last year we got a lot of that in, in the greater good, but her saying that is more than just that. I mean, we've seen what they do, but her saying that says, we know what's best for people, even though it may go against what we commonly know as like freedoms and rights and liberties. Because her language signals that we know what's best for people. You know, we are the light of the world sort of shit. And, and even though they think they know better. Just like Leo said, they took away, uh, they even took away their choice, any of their, any of their choice. While making them feel like they have one. They, and what is journalism too? Is time. if not, they're was supposed to re represent the fourth estate, which means a check on government as a whole, on the whole. And so the illusion of a free press or, or maybe a free press, this, uh, I, I feel like in some senses, I, not that I was wrong about press. I just don't think they're aware of the depths, it, it, meaning I think the, the, the populace at writ large supports the military and how they're safe. But I do think that they aren't completely aware of their comings and goings or the bad to do good stuff. They're kind of insulated from what we get to see when we watch the show. It's a fucking head trip, isn't it? Wait, what if they destroyed Campus Colony in Omaha to make everybody feel like there was a threat to keep the CRM in power, the military? Ah. <laughs> <laughs> you fell for my trap. <laughs> I'm glad you're with me on the other side of this wall. Now I can tell you everything. <laughs> Yes, that's exactly right. That's the second newspaper. You gotta make them be safe. Make them. Oh feel no, no, no! This safe. is worse. This is way worse. This is stuff that governments have been doing for a long time. You're a hundred percent on the mic. I'm not saying there are two newspapers. Huck is reading one newspaper that describes General Beale initiating the initial step down of power or the transition to the civilian government, which shocked people. I will read what I have just for you guys. 
Uh, it's probably the only thing I think we will read because then we have to talk about the, the newspaper. It's the same newspaper, I believe, that Dennis picks up. But when we see that headline, it reads something completely different than what we saw Huck pick up. I will go to that now. Let me just do this throwaway thing. Okay. On the left of the newspaper, the first one, it says the CRBC, which is which I'm calling it the Civic Republic Broadcast Center or Broadcasting Center or communi- or, or Broadcasting Communications. Um, I thought that was kind of cool is being refurbished or something like that. Or, or they're extending their range so they can communicate longer distances. Anyway, so, so this is the Civic Republic Tribune. Um, the military looks ahead to civilian oversight by, by Nick Orgini, I think is what the journalist's name is. In, in an address to the citizens of the Republic this week, Major General Beale surprised many when he spoke not only of recent successes in fortifying the city and military forces, but the future transition of power toward the civilian government. A transition of power from military leadership to full civilian oversight is a bedrock provision of the Civic Republic's founding compact, the foundational document that has guided our city in rebuilding humanity for over nine years. Authors of the document were in agreement that the military, uh, the military, this is a word I couldn't read, but it's kind of funny that I can't read it. It's either military autonomy or military autocracy, which that's a dirty word. It's like dictatorship. <laughs> but anyway, mm-hmm. authors of the document were in agreement that military autonomy, let's just say, or autocracy was something for, for, for the early survival of the CR, as well as its stabilization in the years to follow. The provision states that 10 years into the CR's existence, a transition of power could take place, a move that would put the power back into the hands of the people. It's, it continues where it says the compact's decade, and then it drops off, but then the next column continues. When asked if the 10-year timeline written to the CR's founding compact still seemed feasible by the Major General, Beale responded saying, there are many variables to consider, but I have full faith that when the time comes, we will execute the plan smoothly. Execute the plan? Is he talking about the same thing? <laughs> the plan or the transition? Maybe they have a plan. Anyway, mm-hmm. and then there's a blurb in between where he says, uh, in, in, in between the statement that says, Major General Beale looking forward to long-awaited governmental transition. When pressed to reveal the specifics of the plan for the transition of power, Beale remained tight-lipped. It's something my joint chiefs of staff, I imagine. And then it continues the next column, completely unrelated, and it says military. He's, they're quoting him saying military. Okay, I love this part. Uh, a CR farmer, speaking anonymously, shared similar sentiments. Of course, they have to. He has to say anonymously, "Communism, God damn it!" Anyway, so um, you have to watch that episode, the Tiger, the Lamb episode that we did last year. He says, "You can't deny what the CR military has done for this city." Again, city referencing the city, farmer in the city. So wait, this this proves what I said in that episode where I said they're exploring vertical farming. It's, Jasmine's looking at me like a crazy person. I just didn't know that you guys mentioned that in the past because I wasn't here when you watched season one. That is a landmark episode because I went crazy. I talked about technology, but I also talked mm-hmm. about communism. <laughs> anyway, so he says, uh, you can't deny what the CR military is done for the city. You, we owe our survival to them, he said. But things are under control more than ever before, and it feels like the right time for us citizens to take the reins. So Beale's acknowledgement of the transition of power in his address has proven to be a smart pol- political move. His approval ratings are polling at an all-time high with many people citing his leadership as integral to the continued survival of the CR. With strong approval, I think, and widespread appeal, blank, 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 rest comfortably knowing blank, 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 the last blank, blank, blank. <laughs> That's where it kind of drops off. Does that mean they have democracy? <laughs> well, no. No, they do not. Then not why do they have all approval ratings? Well, because if, if they're signaling the transition... Well, first of all, they're probably still polling people as a either a... 
a relic of when a time when that stuff mattered or in prep for this transition of power, meaning because there's a possibility that Beale will take leadership regardless of military. And, and I think that's what they're angling, just to Sharon D and my point. That's what they're angling towards. I feel like they already have an existing government. It's just that the kind of like before parliament, uh, I'm going to get in, show my ignorance <laughs> of British history, but the king was who made the decisions. And so right now the CRM is the king. And the government is parliament. Yeah, the, and we have uh, then you have or the church even right. still like the church so, was in charge. So the CRM steps aside or transition of power. They already have an existing government in place. That's what the approval ratings are for. Is what I'm saying. Like the the approval ratings are for the okay. government that's already yeah, existing. Right, right. Yeah, that and that checks out from what we're seeing. I mean, there is a civilian government. There's a lower tier. I think mm -hmm. we could say like maybe district by district or county by county. They may have. Different civilian governments, governors, assemblymen, maybe the whole thing is tiered up in a cameral or federalist system, meaning it, it, you have top level, state level, county level, city level, etc. So, and then yeah, at the top, it, you know, instead of, let's say the federal government, you have the military, which that model makes a lot of sense to me because of things. So what, do, what does all this signal? It's the first newspaper sounds very encouraging. And from what we're reading, I feel like what they are trying to do, what the military is trying to do, even from this one, is stay in power longer by way of General Beale. Because people are like, hey, he's a trusted leader. We've trusted him for however long he's been in power, at least in the military level. He's, he has popular resounding support. And with this early move of signaling a transition of power from military to civilian government, people will say, and that makes complete sense, hey, why not keep this guy on even in the civilian, you know, even when the civilians start to vote on who remains in power, let's say the presidency, right? Because, you know, mm -hmm. he's used to the things and then the next person that comes in, you know, we can afford to screw up a little bit, you know, damn Republicans, you know, what? damn Democrats, right? <laughs> From Fear the Walking Dead. <laughs> but like the idea that like, okay, and it makes complete sense, which shows kind of like a wisdom of the people kind of thing, like a little bit, because think about the way we're living now and how it's always the last guy that com completely screwed up something and then the you elect somebody that's almost completely opposite, right? It's like, oh, that guy did that thing. I'm going to do this thing. Mm -hmm. And so we do this rinse, wash, repeat of, of electing the opposite guy from last time. Mm -hmm. So there's a little bit of we a weird wisdom of the crowds in that, you know, okay, let's not upend the apple cart as the expression goes. Let's, this guy seems okay. If he's willing to step down from power, let's just keep him in there, right? But I think that's according to plan. The second newspaper that Dennis picks up, but it's really the same newspaper for some reason, the title says, CRM requests emergency delay of civil civilian oversight. And on the side, it says candidates form to be held in Millennium Park, which I thought was kind of interesting. Like, so candidates for the transition of government, maybe, or maybe candidates in the local CR capital city, let's say, if we're talking about a republic of cities. After reading all of that, we get to this CRM is requesting immediately delay of transition of power. Or, so, or at least civilian oversight over, over the Civic Republic. Or these could be two mutually exclusive things. Beale is saying, I'm willing to step down to the people. But in the next article, he's saying, the military is saying, we don't want civilian oversight. He is an adept politician. Maybe he's saying the right things. And then underneath it, the military is like, nah, B, no, you can't, you can't. There's no oversight just yet. We want to say this, but not give you this, the actual thing. Could there be two different dates on the newspapers? I couldn't tell. I did look. But these two could be mutually exclusive. You, you said Millennium Park, right? Yeah. That's in Chicago. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> 
<laughs> I, there may be more than one, though. That's mm, the that's only the only one thing. that came up when I did a search. <laughs> it is very nice, though. I have to admit. I remember. I remember going there for the first time right after they built it. It's pretty cool. Uh, it's pretty so, cool. so could that be where the CR is There's located? More in London as well. That's what I was going to say next. Is that there is more than one? Yeah, but uh, they're not in London right now. So that's the only one that came up. Hey, maybe, maybe the Soviet Republic reaches the UK. Uh, <laughs> you guys are you guys are see brexit uh, it really ruined everything no, i'm just kidding i'm kidding brexit is entirely irrelevant <laughs> mario says it's in kublik's backyard millennium park <laughs> i can see a world in which the, these two articles articles from the same newspaper are mutually exclusive which says a lot about the journalism the military does not seem to have control let's say over the media let's say because they would not have let that second article fly maybe they recognize that they realize that they have to give them some leeway or it'll end up costing them in the long run which will go to what we ultimately find out is possibly the reason for uh, omaha and campus colonies destruction but in the meantime it seems to me that they feed the birds. You know, the military feeds the birds when the bait, when the chicks are hungry, right? Mm -hmm. So they give them a little sprinkles, like okay, Beale is planning in an address. He so he addressed the people much like Kublik did, in the sense where he's he's preparing for a transition of power. This happens, and then Kublik goes on the air, and then you get the CR, sorry, the Civic Republic military requesting that we delay the transition of power. These three things happen because who knows when people are getting the newspaper too, or how mm -hmm. often it's getting printed. But at least they got it in the edition. So I, I feel like one is going to follow the other because Beale says, "Hey, let's. I'm open for transition of power." Kublik addresses the slaughter of of camp, campus colony in Omaha, whilst the, right after the CRM can claim, "Hey, maybe we should be delaying this because it, if this sort of thing could happen to our sister city, then you know we mm -hmm. have to do better. You need us to protect you more than you need right. your freedom, liberty. I mean, it's it's delicious, but in it, in its like frightening nature because it, it occurs to you. That and I, I, I'm glad that Huck swoops in with the patient sheet in a way because if it was just on the face of things, we would it would have led us to believe that the which what Mario had said to me in our Discord, Mario was like frightened that all of this was po political, all of this was in order to stay in power. But with the patient sheet that that Huck retrieves from Kublik's safe, I believe even that's a smokescreen. There is something going on here where they are testing these subjects, 13,000 subjects, whatever, in, in Omaha campus colony. Longevity tests, or they're doing decelerate decomposition tests. I, I don't know what they're doing, but maybe that's where Lila's failure occurred. Maybe it's this whole thing. Maybe the thing that they were testing is Lila's fault. Like they, she assumed that something would work and it didn't work and then it ended up killing everybody. I don't, maybe even Lila, Lila's research was the cause of the downfall of Campus Colony in Omaha. I don't know. And I'm hoping that they reveal this a little bit more. And I think they will. Oh, okay. So Alani says, I'm wondering if the B's are like humans who locate the living for the living and the A's are used to kill those who don't go along with the methods that they have in place for the community. Beats me. <laughs> But it's out there in the ether now. Mario says, I've heard that they are following NATO's military rankings overall. Yeah, that seems to be, that seems to check out. Uh, Major General and Staff Sergeant. and uh, Yeah, uh, and we did some of that research last year. Some of the stuff that you were able to see in 
Oh, I forgot what the episode's called. We always forget the episode with uh, Mario says that the major general is the highest rank in the officer of the military while at peace. Oh, yeah, yeah, I noticed that too. Truth or dare? That's it. Truth or dare. While the group searches for something in advance of their quest, one of them recalls their struggles in early days of the apocalypse. A yeah, game of truth or dare brings emotions to the surface. It, it, don't you remember the time? Don't you love the time where they used to have veiled episode descriptions? And they didn't say, hey, Huck has flashbacks, like in the, in the more recent descriptions. <laughs> Huck has flashbacks. She's still alive. Like, get golf claps. <laughs> Have you read the the rec- Oh, it's terrible. It's like, oh, here's the season in front of you. Have, uh, have fun. Oh, like the fear, the fear ones. Each each episode. That's um, what I'm referring to. Synopsis tells you exactly which character is it is concerning. <laughs> Wouldn't you like to know? Oh, you do. Okay, yeah. fine. It, that takes all the fun out of the title cards. Uh, the title sequence. Yeah, remember how much fun we had last season? Like, oh, who is it going to be? Who's going to be on the title card? And now, now you're like, know, I, right? now I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> Look, it's, it's ambiguous John or June on the title card for 7 Who ca- Who cares? We know what this is about. <laughs> we couldn't tell who it was in the hazmat suit last year everybody's right. oh, in a hazmat year. suit we can't tell who they are anyway <laughs> it's, 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 what a joke anyway so what do you think about all of this uh what, what is going on here am i do you think first of all do you think i'm onto something yeah or definitely. me and charity yeah jasmine <laughs> say goodbye <laughs> <laughs> no 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 I, well, what are your thoughts well, on this. It's not something that I thought of while I was watching the episode. Perfect! Thank you. No, no, I want to hear what you have to think. That's exactly... I don't want agreement. I want people to fight me. <laughs> right. Say that it is... Say that you're, like, completely correct. Okay. Why are they putting a time pressure on Lila? Why is this her last try if this is, like, an ongoing research thing? That's... That, that's a very good point. That's Maybe she, That's kind of, like, why I was thinking... It is very possible that whatever it was that they were trying to research involves Omaha's destruction slash campus colony because I'm not going to say it's a gamble, but I'm trying to find the right word here in order to do or what they felt they had to do to enact Lila's research. I'm not saying this is the case. I'm just saying this is my theory. Whatever they had to do with Omaha and campus colony, it, it, it's linked to Lila's research and it's a big move. Whatever it was, they were pretty sure of the science and it feels like that science didn't quite pan out, in my estimation. What if instead so of... She fucked up big time, and now they have to take control and, and not do transition of power and not and hold back on, on relinquishing their control. And, you know, it, it fucks up their timetable. Like, they, were, they put everything on Lila. And what's interesting is, if that's true, and again, I'm not saying this is true. This is just my feeling. But if that's true then you've got a lot of pressure on Lila right now. And what does that mean for Lila's Perfect. faith in the civic public military or civic republic? I can, I can see what you're saying, but I'm not, I'm not, I'm not sure on the longevity. Neither yeah, am I. I'm thinking maybe <laughs> instead of studying for longevity, maybe they're trying to figure out a way to regenerate soldiers. Like you regenerate hey, a walker, sure. maybe they figure out how to regenerate soldiers. If they feel like maybe they need this super soldier or whatever to keep power. So that's why they're putting the pressure on Lila. Hurry up and figure this out so we can have the soldiers so we don't have to turn over power. Oh, right, right. That's, so, that's so, wait. So, instead of regeneration, because that that requires regeneration. So it's not, it's not even, it's not even decelerated decomp. It's, it's literally like multiply. I don't know about multiplication of cells, but like the, the ability to regenerate. So, it's, like it's going the other way. But to your point, Sharon D, what if you had a soldier that wouldn't stop? The limbs get blown off, they get stabbed in the heart, they just keep mm-hmm. going, and they're alive. They're not walkers, they're alive. 
They can go through anything. They'll just they'll fight with their teeth if they have to. Like, all their limbs get blown off. Like they don't they don't feel pain. They don't. Yeah, yeah. they don't right. feel. Pain. They have all the attributes of walkers, but they're still alive up here. But they're still alive. That would be that would be something. That would be horrific. Even if that never happens, but that's what they're working towards. That would be yeah. Fun. And so so this does sort of answer the question that Charity had earlier. What if the public found out that they were doing this? Okay, now instead, I could see what of eliminating threat. threat. Yeah. So I guess that's maybe yeah. what I was trying to say about longevity. But like, so even even still, like, why even do that? What is the point of that? If not for people in power at the military or in the military picking winners or losers in the Republic of who gets this never dying treatment, possibly never dying treatment. No, you know? no, I, I, I'm not sure about the never dying part or instantly dying, but keeping your faculties sort of treatment. I, I don't yeah. know. I, that's that's kind of why I went there because the idea of picking winners or losers comes up a lot in the other series like Victor in Fear the Walking Dead, Pope in The Walking Dead, the last the last the last season he says God picks the winners or losers and I am God basically. So it's Victor too. So <laughs> so I, why not do it in this series, right? Yeah, <laughs> why in not? theory, they, they would be controlling more than just, you know, Texas, like, say, Victor is. They would be controlling the world. Yeah, it's all mm -hmm. scale, right? Texas has its own yeah. little, little fiefdom. It, well, Texas is pretty big, but still... A fiefdom of his own, you know, Pope having his his corner of the universe. And then so why wouldn't the Civic Republic say, nah, nah, think, think globally, don't think locally. <laughs> mm -hmm. I think we have a somewhat of a good consensus going from our diverse viewpoints, e pluribus unum. I think, uh, what do you think, Mario? <laughs> He's like, I'm tired. You guys are, <laughs> it's late for me. <laughs> nah, nah, not yet. Let's move off from this point to something that Anne Stokes says... <laughs> to Lila at the end that Kubik has been removed indefinitely. Why is that insanely important after everything we've just watched in this episode? It means Huck's ass is in danger. Because that's Elizabeth has been pretty much protecting her for the most part. Because but of what we said just earlier. If she like gets why removed, why Barca's in, in the shit? If she gets removed, then there's nobody there protecting Huck. Mm -hmm. And and Leo and Hope and everybody else there. Their safety is now freak gone gone with Kublik. Yes. Okay. I'm glad you're saying this because what I, what I was about to say next is is yeah, it's not as crazy. My theory is Jennifer rooting through Kublik's safe and finding the evidence that she needs. I think Kublik has the evidence to give the civilian government. I think Kublik is on the side of the angels, and we didn't know it. I think she's following orders. I think she feels remorse. And there's something that happens. I, I think she does some shady shit. I mean, talk about being deep undercover for so long. Uh, I think Huck and Kublik kind of mirror each other in a weird shit, in a weird heartbreaking way. Them having lunch together and Kublik relaying this old story of Huck being like a four or five year old and getting bolognese on herself and having to just go, go into the ocean, clean it off and go, you know, but letting Huck make the mistakes she needs to make and being fine and content and even joyful that she's there to clean her up. It's an allegory for what's going on now with Kublik and Huck. She knows that Huck is making mistakes. In fact, having Barker show up at the end is emblematic of like what the CR needs to do when somebody just steps out of line, even a little bit, has a thought that is different than the than towing the party line, which Dennis alludes to earlier. He's like, yeah, you know, whatever, transition to government, but everybody's on the same page. Everybody's on board thinking the right things. But the scene when they're having lunch utterly broke my heart. And I think it's going to come back to haunt us when we actually realize what just happened. I think 
Kublik's been like we've Sharon and I have been saying has been wiping up after Huck this whole time, allowing her to have this makeup mission, finding ways to keep her alive, <laughs> alluding to also the fact that Huck makes a shit ton of mistakes, you know, and somehow she's still alive, mm-hmm. which is a lot of our people on all these shows. They make tremendous mistakes on TWD and fear, fear TWD. And yet somehow they kind of come through. Okay. It, it's mm-hmm. luck. It is luck that they're still alive. I mean, which is emblematic of humanity on the whole. The great experiment of humanity is that the, the crazy amount of conditions to, to breathe life for us to be here is insane. Is insane, but we are here. So that's humanity on a grander scale. Do you know what the worst part about that lunch scene is? What is it? Hook snaps the spaghetti. <laughs> that bothered me too. I knew one of you would actually say that. <laughs> But, I'm glad it wasn't just me. Yeah, I, I knew I knew that would happen. I, but you know that that isn't just to do it. Huck, I think, is signaling also with this this metaphorical snapping of the spaghetti that I think also that she can handle herself. There's a lot of that going on too. That pe- people being capable of taking care of themselves or not afraid to make well, mistakes. Why would why would snapping spaghetti be? I, 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 I felt <laughs> like it was a re- the connection. I think it's like a call and response. There's a call that says I was. Like the greater metaphorical meaning of her cleaning up after Huck as a child and Huck saying, yeah, I can take care of myself. The response is like, whatever, I'll make mistakes. I'll, well, I'll break spaghetti in half. She breaks her spaghetti. Yeah. It's, it's not that important. Like, but it's also, it's like not that important. Okay. Yes. You're breaking spaghetti, but does, is it going to taste any different? Not really. It's just shorter, shorter noodles, isn't it? Or maybe the greater point, because I actually did write this in my notes. Like, Grace, it's okay to be broken. It's, it's fine. Why is that? That's why is it so bad? So, what's, what's the big deal? <laughs> why does everything have to be perfect? This, this is kind of unrelated, but I really want to know. What was Elizabeth's mm-hmm. job before, like, the CRM? Yeah, she said it She was an attaché for the British government in, uh, in Albany, in the state of New York. How do you guys know that? <laughs> first episode. They, uh, first okay. episode of the season, she actually mentions it. Okay. Ah! When they were talking about um, Hook and the spaghetti stuff, my brain just went, I wonder what she did before the apocalypse. Yeah, yeah, for the British military. Going back to the scene, though, that, I, I was literally, I'm, I'm just letting you know that my pausing back there was me just about to get emotional. Because on the one hand, okay, because I want to expand a little bit more on why I think she's on the side of the angels. I think she has these documents to prove that, to give to the civilian government about the wrongdoings of the military. I, I think she is... On the side of the angels, I think, because it's a great subversion of of expectations. It explains the turmoil that Elizabeth has, Elizabeth Kublik has, during the Tiger of the Lamb, that stinger scene, crying over the same map with the three arrows on it in that episode. Do you remember that shit? In that scene, in the Tiger of the Lamb, the stinger scene, Elizabeth Kublik is pouring over the map with the three arrows on it. And there's also other illusions that make us believe that she's looking at a map of the kid's trajectory basically because the the freight company or the shipping company i think it has that as their logo as well that is like a three hours going in three directions like straight right and left and in the beginning of this this episode a walker stomps on a sign that has those very same not not the same arrows but a a road sign that has which i thought was kind of cool because it's a very rare sign too of going straight left and right which also shows like what the meaning of this episode is katervoise is the French word. Directions. I happen to think the Kublik thing is the fourth direction. The third direction, I think, is hope and saving humanity and that getting along to get along kind of idea. 
that she obviously lets go of at some point, saying that I don't have a choice. I can't fight against my sister. The root word of Katowa is, is the uh, four uh, four ways of seeing, basically. So four ways of going. Uh, so it's a crossroads. I, it's funny how it shows three, but there really is probably a fourth. And the fourth is the one we don't see coming, usually. And that could be the Kublik angle, meaning she's been working on this longer than anybody else uh, in, in how to take down the military. And what a thing to have out of the way. At the same time, like when you find out that she's removed from the board, it, it, it basically signals what she says during the lunchtime that, you know, I've been covering up for you the longest time, but for probably for my ends, but like it, now you're on your own hook. There's no safety net for you. It's heartbreaking to, to, to for that to be their last conversation. I don't know if that means we're not going to see her again. I'm not sure. It'd be interesting if we do. Oh, boy. Oh, my God. Can you imagine? Lila, I, how, how would that make Lila feel after all this time? Probably fearing Kublik because it seems like. Or fear of disappointing Kublik at the very least. How would that feel to see? And then how does Lila react to that, right? Whoop, doggy. Do, do you get the sense that Hope may... And I love that Leo gives her the option of speaking her mind in the round, the family meeting roundtable. The, the last time we basically might see everybody together again all at once. Or most people, except for Silas and Elton, I think, and Will. And Huck, yeah. Well, when we might see Huck in the picture in just a few in the next episode, but did you feel like Hope was going to say something otherwise or fe felt differently than the group? If the, this is the only choice that has choices, maybe, like the, or the maximum amount of choices, even though it might not be, even if it doesn't give me choice. Speaking of that, I saw another weird yin-yang parallel between Silas and Huck in that moment. Huck is kind of like seeing the truth and doesn't know uh, if she's all in, as Dennis says, anymore. And then Silas comes comes from the truth, kind of like Hope, and sees that there are good people in the CR. So how do you reconcile that? It's it's not all that bad. You know, Hope is hanging out with Mason and seeing, look, they're not they're not all bad. In fact, like Silas Silas does say this to Iris. He says, all the CR? <laughs> and I thought the wording choice was very interesting. Him saying, is it okay to hate even Dennis? Is it okay to even hate Grady and Webb and, and Tiga, Tyga? Th does that mean I have to treat them like enemies? Because yeah, that's what Percy says. They're the enemy. The weird knight of the round table that is Percival up the half of Iris. And why does he do it, right? He does it because... All he wants is to keep her safe. It not for revenge. It's like, I would kill thousands of people to make sure you're safe. Is he not just saying it to say it, though? I don't think so. Why would a con man do that? Why would a con man rush into danger, you know, if he could avoid it? Because he wants to kill Hook. I feel like he's in the situation where he's like, I need to say whatever mm. it takes so that I can go with them. Especially after he, like, blew her off last episode, and then all of a sudden he's, like, at a corner. Seems a bit convenient. Mmm. Well, okay, if you look at it that way, fine. You could look at it the other way and still be okay. Because if you're taking him at his word, let's say, you see a person who is conflicted about having almost killed his friends or almost put an entire community in danger, rather than, okay, and maybe you could say this is an allegory for him and his, and his uncle. I trusted you people. I put my uncle in a situation where the result of which got him killed. Someone embedded in the group got him killed. So I don't want to be, I don't want to feel like I had a hand in that and being responsible for you guys getting killed by my action. Do you know, does that make sense? Because the kids, kids always feel sort of responsible for like their actions affecting other people or like the adults whom are in control usually and have autonomy, which kind of does mirror Silas a little bit in his conversation with Dennis. Like, you know, your friends can probably take care of themselves. Uh, your uncle, uh, Tony Delmato, could probably take care of himself. 
Until he couldn't, right, right. But then he, I'm sure in some ways he feels responsible for not seeing it or not seeing Hux Khan. Do you know what I mean? And so I can see him being easily confused or put, in, put on his haunches. And I can also see him being honestly not in the mood, Iris, at the time in that last episode, like when she does come on to him. So I, I can read it both ways. I'm, I guess I'm not willing to fall on any of those sides until I see more. Because to your point, I did find the way he was acting very weird. The way he was talking to other people about being Elton Ortiz. I felt it was his voice kind of like did the thing. The whole situation with Percy is weird, in my opinion. If the guy is a con man, and he's good, because we saw exactly what he was able to do to the kids in uh, Mad Men Across the Water. We deconstructed it down to what he says, how he says it. We talked about mentalism and how that plays into this episode, what he's trying to do and say and how and why he's doing it and what the end goal is, right? So why in this episode is it acting and if he is, he's doing a bad job. You'd think he'd be a little bit more convincing. And if it isn't acting, then it's pretty pathetic. And if it is pathetic, it's, it's authentic. And so that's where I'm confused. He's, laying, he's landing on a spot in his act. And Teddy Sutherland is landing on a spot in his acting where I'm not sure if this is a con or if this is genuine. Because we don't know what genuine Percy looks like in some senses. For the longest time we've known the con. I It, it makes it so that I'm not sure what to think his angle is. I'm leaning on the he's lying because he's a con man and everything we've seen so far. But I could, I could admit that it could, I could be wrong. Hmm. I do think he cares about Iris and that he's going to like make sure she's safe. He's not just going to go all guns blazing for Hook and get everyone killed. His motivations for going isn't to kill Iris. Um, to isn't, keep her safe. Isn't to put. If isn't, only, right? Isn't to save Iris. <laughs> You're like, I wish he would. <laughs> yeah, I wish. No, I think his motivations to going isn't to save Iris, it is to kill Hook, but he's not going to put Iris in danger in the process. Let's take the idea of him being comment to the extreme. Okay. So, is he willing to get at Hook to the point where he puts somebody in danger? I'm inclined to say no. Like, it seems like, because of the Elton thing, like, he hangs out with Elton and they get along pretty well. And I think we established pretty well that Elton, sorry, he's not willing to leave Elton behind in the face of these Ash yeah. and Dev attacking them or whatever. That that being said, I don't know if he's willing to, like, the, the yes to certain people that he wouldn't want to put in danger. But that being said, I don't know if he cares as much about other people in danger. Like whom? Like Felix? Yeah, perhaps Felix or some of the other people in the group that oh. he's, like, less... Or anybody around that family table that, that we saw just before, just before Leo says, "Yeah, like I don't, I I don't know if, if it if it put like Leo in danger or Felix in danger. I don't know if he would he would care as much. If it put Iris or Hope or Elton, I would say probably only Elton. If we're going on the extreme, and, and if we think about it, everyone is willing to put Silas in danger because they have put him in the situation where." He literally has got captured because of their actions. Uh, again. <laughs> well, sort of again. He was safe. He was relatively happy, like, where he was. Mm -hmm. uh, Which is kind like... of the exact opposite, right? Like, wait, Silas came from Omaha, and people hated him so much, he was forced to leave to Campus Colony, where his uncle was. Oh, no. Marco Voci. 
Mm. Okay. But yeah, where his uncle was uh, in the maintenance facility or whatever it's called. Uh, and then even at Campus Colony, he felt kind of weird. People looked at him weirdly. Oh, is that the guy? You know? Yeah. yeah so he's, he's kind of finally got what he wanted and Daryl basically just destroyed it. Yeah. Hope has kind of got where she what she wanted. You know, a feeling of belonging, a sense that her yeah. actions have purpose instead of before. So one of the things that we said in season one was of our assessment of hope was that hope because of her trauma, because we're describing two basic uh, archetypes of depression. When you're depressed, you go one of two ways. You become grandiose, therefore hiding the depression, meaning you go beyond, you become extra, you know, you, you, you do great things to hide your depression, or you become depressed, meaning you think nothing you, you do ever matters. And this is hope in a nutshell in the beginning of the series. Nothing I do matters, so might as well fuck off. I might as well make alcohol, might as well piss everybody off. Even though, like, underneath it, she doesn't want to disappoint her father. She doesn't want him to go. Did I do too many bad things to make you go, is what she says right before he leaves. But Hope and Silas have the same problem. Silas, in the past, was hated by everybody, according, well, you know, whether that's objectively true or not is, is irrelevant. From his point of view, he felt hated and whispered against, whatever. Hope felt like none of her actions mattered because she did a bad thing. And that's, that's my life will amount to that one, that moment when I was a kid. I don't deserve to have a life full of happiness and joy. So I might as well just have pleasure. I might as well, if I'm here, I might as well do something. Not something that has meaning because nothing I do should have meaning because I did this thing. But now look at Hope. I'm in the exact position where I never thought I would be, where my actions could help people. I could save the lives of millions of people potentially, whereas I ended the life of one as a kid. And then I finally got to tell somebody so that I could relieve myself of that burden. And so they're both in the exact place that they could be to be happy for the rest of their lives. And yet because of their family, Iris wanting their family and Leo wanting their family to be together, Felix, you know. And it's not so even just them wanting to be together because in theory they could be together in the CRM. This is why I hate Iris. It's Iris's thing and she's just going to keep like pushing that limit. And being and look like, at the no, other. we gotta escape, we gotta go. Let's put everybody in danger just because I have some idea that's unconfirmed. Right, and look at the irony. And even though we know the truth, which is crazy to me, but, but what is the irony of that? Iris subdued what she really wanted to do to help humanity. This vague goal of possibly saving humanity with through her studies, the inch by inch, probably never, never really making a difference sort of thing. Like, I mean, how much can you learn and can this be applied to? And then even the CR saying to her in the past or Kublik saying to her, that's cute. <laughs> Kublik knowing that, that Iris is trying to work hard to be like her father, but probably seeing all the report cards and saying, yeah, nah, you're not even worth, you're not even worth coming to the CR or to the research facility to join the other students. That's how little you have to contribute. Yeah. Now, whether that's canon or not, <laughs> I don't know, but you know, and, but, and then the irony of her, her going the other way, the exact opposite way of trying to take down the, these people, like not be a part of the solution, not subduing herself any longer. And, and going against the grain. Well, Mario says there's no way that their plan works, right? Like, no, no, definitely not. No. First of all, whenever you ask that question, the answer is always going to be no, Mario, just so you know. No way anybody's plans ultimately work. They don't. They never work. <laughs> but Alani says, Silas dies, I riot. I agree. <laughs> he's not gonna die. At least my, not next episode. I have a feeling that he might, though. No, and like, I, I mean, like, he's not gonna die, like, because of him getting captured. Like, he's not gonna die immediately. Oh, no. They're not no, gonna he'll shoot him on side. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. Mario's like, Silas is great. He's, he's good for sure. 
you know what troubles me? Where where is Kublik's right hand man, and is he with her in CR or facility? Well, okay, yeah, that's a good point. I don't really care about her right hand man though. To be honest, though, I care about Kublik. Frank, is it his name Frank? Frank? Is it Frank Mills? Is that, is that who you're referring to? Mills, the, the guy. Well, I th- no, his, her right hand man is in Portland. Ah, do you remember? She sent him off to do uh, Portlandy things to because they were asking too many questions. Speaking huh? of Portland. Is their, their whole plan is to walk to Portland. Is that not the most stupid thing ever? Even if it's in Oregon or if it's in Texas, like regardless, <laughs> that's a long fucking way to walk. Yeah, but, you know, hey, listen, okay, there's, so there's a lot of things that go against your notion. <laughs> I can't really say this. Morgan walked to Texas, okay? Right. <laughs> no. So you could go to hell. <laughs> Well, are they going to go through the nuclear bomb? Uh, no, if you're going to Oregon, this is which, which is what I think they're assuming it is. By the way, you know yeah, that they're going to go to the wrong Portland, right? They're just going right. to like get there and be like, "What the fuck is this?" Right. So they're they're going to go to Portland, Oregon, only to discover that it's Portland, Texas, right? Maybe. But again, <laughs> this is assuming Sharendy because this is Sharendy's theory. I'm not saying this is mine. I'm not taking this on. Sharendy's saying. And I have to remind the crowd, Sharon D is saying the Portland they, they may be referring to is Texas. And everybody's going along with the assumption that it's Oregon for the sake of probably privacy or whatnot. But it, there's got to be CR facilities in that Portland, Texas, where, where that we broke down the map just recently, actually. So we're talking about the distance between New York State and Portland, Oregon. Regardless of Sharon D's theory, that's probably where they would want to go to if they're assuming Portland is in Oregon, which I think it sounds like the, it's the assumption that they have. Well, Lila says it in one of the in a Stinger because I, I rewatched season one and she says Portland, Oregon. Yeah, but Lila could be wrong too, for all we know. I mean, hey, there are two Portlands. Maybe they're using the other Portland too. There's, Who there's knows? Three Portlands. There's. <laughs> <so> <laughs> We could all be wrong. It could be Portland, Maine, for all we know. Mm-hmm. But I, I will say it would be cool if it wasn't at least, regardless of it not being Portland, Texas, it could. It would be cool if it wasn't Portland, uh, Oregon or Portland, Maine mm-hmm. or whatever, or any Portland we'd expect because it'd be clever of Portland. Like yeah. mad props to Portland for not revealing where they came from. Or not like having Springfield. It, yeah, like not revealing where they came from. Being like, no, I, I'm part of the Alliance of the Three, but I'm not going to tell you where the fuck we are. I'll just show up at your gate with our guy uh, Samuel Abbott and he'll be a part of the thing and, the, and then they send Mills to Portland, Oregon <laughs> to shut them up about communicate and they'll be like hey guys there's nobody here there's nobody here <laughs> where, where, do, where do I go? we don't know they didn't tell us it wasn't Oregon <laughs> so anyway that would be funny for us because we just said all the stuff mm. <laughs> and, then, and then everybody else in the community figures out what we already know <laughs> all of my theories so far have been disproved so <laughs> I well, hey, listen, I'm not, counting, I'm, I'm not counting you out just yet. <laughs> so. I just want my let my fear theories be right. Maybe I'll be happy with that. Throw Sharon D a bone, for goodness sake. Well, Padre is is you're already on a good track. Holding on, holding on to Padre. Yeah, <laughs> come on, Padre, come on, come through for us. <laughs> All right, I, I just want to say my favorite scene of the whole episode is when Percy and Elton are talking by the fire, and he's like, "So you and Iris." That's cool. And Percy's like, so, you and Asha, what's up with that? <laughs> the way he said it was so funny. Like, you really want to go there? Because I can get back with that, too. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But, okay, so this is going to go to your points, your both your points about Percy. Because why the clapback? What's the big deal, right? Why is, it, why, is, why is Percy's response whataboutism? 
right? What? <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, what about you and Asha? Go fuck yourself. Like, Whoa, guy, <laughs> hello? I thought we were friends. <laughs> Like, why wouldn't he just talk like a human about his feelings for Iris in some ways? Just like Elton did just now. Which, to your point, weird. I feel like that's what all teenagers do. Okay, I forgot how to be a teenager, so... But you're close to me. Like, if I approach a group of my friends and was like, Oh yeah, so what about you and this person? They would do something like that back to me. And vice versa. Then you'll find out they weren't really your friends to begin with. You know, this is when you get to be 40. <laughs> beyond. <laughs> it's it's an old people's joke, okay? Wait till your friends have kids. It's awful. Ugh, gross. She does, you know, it's funny. She's looking at us like, what the fuck is he talking about? And like, Sharon and I yeah. both know. You, you, we just, really, we you know. really think my generation are going to have kids? Yeah. <laughs> every generation says that, and every generation <laughs> has kids. Mm-hmm. It's so true. <laughs> it's almost funny <laughs> about like my generation saying the same thing, and yet I'm like the only one. I was the one who. Oh my god. Yeah. Okay. You. You too, I, right? I'm the only. I am the only one of my my high school friends that doesn't Isn't, have like two or three kids. Yeah. Right. It, it's crazy to think, and yet I was the one who was like always about like oh, I can't wait to be a father. I can't wait to be a dad. And, and everybody always still says you know oh you'd make a great dad. I'm like yeah I know but <laughs> no thanks. <laughs> yeah. My um my brother is 11 years younger than me and my mother was a single mom so my job was to watch my brother all the time and I was like yeah I'm, I'm good. <laughs> I'm I'm good. I don't I don't want to deal with this. So, yeah. Thanks mom. He <laughs> <laughs> gave me the gift of not wanting to have them. Yeah. Like no thanks. I'm, I'm good. Dealing with him was enough. I'm I'm all right. I I feel like we should say to <laughs> to Jasmine just just live your truth. Just don't listen. Don't listen to us. Don't listen to us. You'll figure it out. Mm-hmm. Listen, I'm Leo Bennett. I wanted to give you options. So the freedom to choose whatever path you're going to take. Don't don't be jaded like us <laughs> or weirdos. I will also say that working in the restaurant industry for 20 years did not endear me to children at all. Being loud at tables and stuff? Oh, just being little shitheads, mostly. Oh, too. Yeah. yeah. Right before I left for uni, I got the honor of cleaning up babysick twice within the same week. Yeah. yeah. But you know yeah. what? It's funny. As a parent, you get used to it, or you, you're like, that's my kid, so here we are. You know? I was really hungover the first time. It was not good. <sighs> that's going to stick with you. <laughs> I, I can't look at, at pureed carrots ever again. <laughs> Huck's in, in the waiting room, I guess, or at the CR facility. Dennis pops in with a, the mug of coffee. It heavily reminded me of, you know, like in the Commonwealth, when Mercer? Yumiko gets the coffee. And then I remember, like, and then I instantly remembered that whole, like, speech you went on in the podcast about it. <laughs> coffee is an important thing. But to my point. And then, like, if... they're growing coffee and everything. Yeah. But to my point, it's. Crazy significant because he even says that, or Huck is even saying that. Oh, it's it's nice to see that they're actually growing real coffee. Mm-hmm. Well, actually, maybe to both our points, okay? Because because it sounds like up until then, maybe they were having uh, fake coffee or freeze dried coffee or whatever. But like, it's nice to know that they have real coffee, meaning they're cultivating environments with which they can have coffee, have coffee beans, and all that stuff. Does that mean that some of the Civic Republic, not necessarily the Civic Republic, but like they have somewhere on the equator because that's like where you grow coffee? That's yeah. what I'm saying. Like they must have colonized a freaking Caribbean island or something because you can't grow yeah, like, like it'd have to be like coffee wherever they are, Columbia, even rooftop. Yeah, like even rooftop of. coffee. 
Or did they go and make clean out Hawaii? <laughs> or I was I did was even going to say, yeah, they have yeah. they use the volcanic soil to because it's filled mm. with nutrients. Imagine how cool it would be though if they did just clear out Hawaii and used it to grow coffee. Just the whole the whole <laughs> five seven islands, just coffee. No, just of like them. one of the islands. Like they don't need all of them. No, no, all all of them. <laughs> All, all of them. Coffee. Here's Kauai coffee. Here's Kona coffee. Here's here's o- Oahu coffee. That one's gross. <laughs> it tastes like sad vacations from Americans in the 60s. <laughs> Sorry. I watched the Brady Bunch as a kid. Reruns, obviously, because I wasn't born when they were airing live. <laughs> There's what? a whole... Sorry, uh- Jasmine. What was it? You know what I'm talking I about, I was right? alive when they were airing. Shut I, up. I know. It's like, <laughs> what? I'm still watching yes, it. Yes, I know exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> it's it's sad because Jasmine the evil, doesn't know the, the, the evil magic tiki of... statue. Yes, yeah, exactly. the evil tiki statue. <laughs> a squawking Sturgeon. bunch. Sturgeon. <laughs> Marsha, Marsha, Marsha. Okay, Jasmine Marcia, is so confused Marcia. right now. I'm so sorry. But you you've heard of the sh- the name of the show, right? The Brady Bunch? No, maybe she hasn't. <gasps> Do you know that Jasmine was born after 9-11? I was, I I was talking to someone the other day, and they were telling me about when they retired, and I was like, they were like, oh, I retired in this year, and I was like, oh, that's the year I was born! And they were just like, <laughs> just like... <laughs> and then instantly Aiden. felt like, you make me feel so much older than I know I am. <laughs> Aiden was born on 9-11. Yee! Yeah, wow. <laughs> Happy birthday, terrorists took over that day. <laughs> I have another friend who was born in that. That's, that's a stretch. Uh, to, to, well, you know, not ultimately, but that day. <laughs> there was one thing that I wanted to talk about as far as Silas goes, and that was what happens behind the camera in his thought process, because I clearly think he has a problem with betraying his newfound family, Dennis and, and the kids, Grady and Tiga, at first, until Iris kind of convinces him. And I think the way in which she convinces him uh, is interesting. Manipulation. But when Yes. <laughs> I'll go through that next, but when he asks Dennis for the keys, this is the the first time my heart started breaking. Uh, he invokes his uncle's memory, which either either is for us, signaling that he's on board fully or mostly, because he remembers his uncle and he remembers, you know, that was the one person that probably that uh, didn't call me an asshole, didn't think I was a serial killer. The one person that was on my side during Campus Colony Omaha. And you know, he was the one that taught me to drive. And that kind of, that made my heart go, but it also signaled to me that, okay, this is not a throwaway line. This is him saying, for uh, Marco, for my uncle, this is what I'm doing that for. I'm not, I'm not doing this for, I'm not doing this for Iris or for anybody else. That's, this is, I'm doing this for him. Cause he personified the tragedy. It's not like I wasn't there and that's what happened. For all he cares, he does not care. I mean, I'm sure he cares on the surface that Omaha and Campus Colony went away. Like, okay, people died. That's not what I wanted. But they did, it's not like they treated me well. But, but my uncle did. You know, after everything, my uncle did. He was the one person who believed in me. And I think that was kind of, that was A, emotional, but B, not a nothing statement. And it's like, in spite of how I feel about you, Dennis, I got to do this thing. I thought that Dennis did not believe him. Oh, and that's why he's in trouble now. Yeah. Because the way Dennis paused before he gave him the keys, it was like he paused and kind of gave him a look. Like, Like you know how to drive or? And then, and then he hesitated before he gave, a little hesitation before he gave him the key card. And I just had the feeling that Dennis didn't believe him. Or maybe since he knows that 
Silas is there because of Huck, maybe he's like, let me see what this kid is up to, because it may be a way that I can get back in touch with Huck. Because apparently they've got some issues going on, so maybe if I can figure out what this kid is doing, I can, you know, get back to where Huck will trust me again, or I can make up for whatever it was I did. Or that to go back to where, uh, a time when everything wasn't different as Huck says mm. earlier in the episode. I, I'm still not sold, because I, obviously I did the editing for the last episode. You guys were strongly suggesting that Dennis knows that Huck sent Silas to the facility, I'm still in the camp that it's agnostic. Well, I don't know that he knows it because Huck told him or anything, but I think when Silas mentioned Huck that maybe he picked up on it. Oh, this kid knows Huck. That's why he's here. I could agree to that. Not in the moment where he's saying this bitch sounds like a battle ax, whatever, but maybe, maybe after thinking about it much in the way after thinking Mm. about Iris's proposition, Okay, I'm not doing it for Iris. I'm doing it for my uncle. Like there was time where he figured it out. You know that maybe that's that's what he was doing. Hmm. But hold on. If he does know that Huck or Jennifer sends Silas to the facility, uh, even after telling her that he, oh, I got a newbie, and she just says, oh, that's cool. How do you think Dennis feels about all the secrecy? Because it was one thing if she had secrecy while she was away and undercover. But now that she's home and still being secretive, isn't that a further betrayal or like a further, right? Do you see what I'm saying? He's obviously been military, was military too. I mean, I'm sure he understands that she can't talk about the shit she did on a mission. So I'm just strictly talking about Silas being assigned to the facility and her not saying anything about it. Not the mission, but like, okay, well, mate, like I got a newbie. That's what you're saying. Yeah. Um, I mean, that is a cause of consternation, right? For, for Dennis. She, she doesn't know. Well, I mean, I see what you're saying. She wouldn't. I think she she knows exactly. She's lying. Yeah. But I'm saying, but she doesn't know that Silas mentioned her to Dennis. No, she, she doesn't. As far as, as far as she's concerned, there's no, he hasn't connected it yet. Oh yeah. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Yeah. But but Dennis may have, and then also knows that she is, because when he says that we picked up a newbie at the facility, she knows exactly that it's Silas. But she says, mm-hmm. that's cool. <laughs> Thumbs up. <laughs> like, well, I mean, uh, maybe maybe he, again, because it's a, it was part of her mission, she can't say anything about, oh, I made him go okay. there or whatever. And, and you know, it's, it's less of a military thing than a Civic Republic military thing because of yeah. what we find out with Jennifer and then Barca, the, mm-hmm. the, two, the differences between the two and what somebody gets and what somebody doesn't get when they start having wrong think. <laughs> Sorry. Not to bring up 1982, but still. No, I take your point. Now I'm just interested if Dennis happens to be the one that reported Silas, then what does that mean? I, I, I just don't think he cares whether or not it is, it's a Civic Republic military thing at this point. I think he, like you said, I think he wants things to go back the way they were. Whether that means he continues not knowing or pretending like he doesn't know, but still reporting Silas, there's still going to be that tension between him and Huck or Jennifer. That's something cool that we can see down the road. And then I still don't know where he lies, you know, in terms of his belief system. Maybe he was also sent to mm-hmm. reprocessing too at some point, And then he became like one of those weird true believers. Well, I mean, his demotion or punishment or whatever is going on. Is probably enough to make him humble. Question his loyalty at least. Oh, question. You know, oh, if they if they'll do this, we don't know what he did, but I'm assuming it was something he thought was the right thing to do. Like, oh, if I did this and this is how they treat me, then why should I care about what happens to them when the civilian takeover? Maybe hoping things will change with a civilian takeover. I don't know. Oh, 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 oh. Yeah, so maybe he's rooting for the civilian takeover to kind of balance things out. Mm-hmm. But in the same breath, he also says the same thing. He says. Yeah, I guess it doesn't really matter if the civilian government takes over because we all think the right thing, right? Because maybe that's the reprocessing. 
center at work mm-hmm. with him. So I think he's caught between maybe believing what he believes, but also believing, you know, oh, I've been reprocessed to thinking that this is the way anyway, which is interesting to play with because then you have somebody who has been altered or at least um, coerced enough to feel that this is the way and this is the only way, but I still have feelings or I still have remnants or something. I don't know. I Look, I like it. Whatever it is, I like it. I'm into it. I want to see what happens. Do you have anything to add, Jasmine? (laughs) I'm acing. (laughs) Because just so everybody else knows, it's uh, past midnight. It's uh, 1245, right? Jasmine has the day off tomorrow. She's falling asleep right Mm -hmm. now. And she's gone. Just for the audio podcast. Just kidding. (laughs) She's dead. We killed her. I'm sorry. Sorry, audio podcast. Say goodbye, Jasmine. Death by exhaustion. (laughs) Death by squawking. (laughs) That's not what I said. (laughs) That's what I said. What I say matters. Uh, (laughs) Exquaustion. (laughs) Exquaustion. Okay, I do want to drop one thing. Speaking of... I, I do want to drop one thing that I saw in the map that they have for their plan of attack, the Detrit- showing the Detritus facility door for Silas. Mm-hmm. In the left side of the map, because now I get to bring it up in the episode, you can tell that it was Will that, that at least helped draw the map, because it has a little section that says, uh, <laughs> pen for researching dum-dums. <laughs> That's what, it That's what it says on the map. <laughs> so I thought that was cute. I laughed out loud while taking these notes. And I have the screenshots, and I could put that in the blog. But music does play a, a role in this in this episode, oddly enough. When they get to culling facility, Metal Sport by Hitman is playing during the culling and maintenance facility as they approach. And uh, it really has a lot to do with bloodshed. And, and ba- basically the games that we've played with one another from time immemorial. But now it's for sport and not for survival or necessity or attacking another human being to get their stuff. It kind of elucidates what we're talking about, about the underground lab versus the above ground lab, what they're trying to fight for. So I thought that's kind of cool. Or just the basic thing of being tribal and fighting two sides. Then we get to the next song, Angel of Wilderness by Craig Marsden. And this is as the gang relays the fate of Campus Colony uh, in Omaha to Silas. And saying Hope and Leo are okay, but I'm okay and they've treated me okay, so maybe Hope and Leo are right as well. So one of the key things I, I picked out here was she walks through the wilderness and she sings the trees. So it's almost like hope. And I'll tell you why. Um, she can't find no bitterness when her song is so free. But the city took her captive. And she's wondering how she how can she be? It's kind of cool. She was free. Leo had her free. She lived a life of freedom. And then the city captured her. The earliest version of the song doesn't have this one verse. Later on, there is a verse in the song that's added, I found this out in my research. It shows up in the beginning of the song, but it's really probably for the end of the song. When silver white birches reflect on the stream, her harmony merges to complete every every dream, but she chooses to sing in the city. Ah? Uh-huh. Where serenity is so hard to find, and her great sacrifice is out of balance out of balance the crises when her song soothes the unhappy mind. So like she's choosing to live in the city, even though she was captured. I, I like that. I love when lyrics mean something specific, right? Yeah. It's, of yeah. course, it's never going to map on one hundred percent, but you know, when it does, for the most part, it's pretty cool. There is a little bit of a parallel with Leo and Silas as they're both heading to the so Silas heading to the facility, right? The detritus door, and then it goes back and forth between he and Leo. Leo on his way to tell tell Lila, bumping into Terry, and they're both kind of bumping into things that that they thought were anchors in their in the Civic Republic, in their time there. So at the gate, Silas is sort of saying bye to Grady, and Leo bumps into Terry, T. T. Brooks Ellis, Terry Brooks Ellis. T. Brooks. <laughs> Wait, will you like that? <laughs> so 
I'm sorry, I, thought, Terry, I, I didn't about see you there. When, when he said Terry, I thought I was like, oh, Dave's gonna love that. They said his name. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's kind of cool. It's kind of cool. <laughs> but then you're not even seeing him. He's so consumed. And I, I can, I feel where Leo is at this point because I think he's wondering also, is this the right course of action? Kind of like hope is what I'm doing right. But all I know is that I need to talk to Lila. I need to talk to my girlfriend. Not the Civic Republic devotee. Thank God Huck came in when she did. But I, again, I... Let me go tell Lila. Yeah. No. I just, I just like, I like the parallel between he and Silas, though, because they're both doing things they're not entirely comfortable doing. The, the mm. element of fear with Silas as the, as the Civic Republic truck moves past him. So there's that. And there's soldiers that Leo's passing by in the hallways. And One of the little moments that I loved was when they first saw Silas at the, at the fence... And they they were walking up to him, and there's the walker coming, and you can see them all tense up like they're going to run up there and save Silas, and he just jacks it, plump, and rips his head off, and all of them just look like, what? They were so surprised that he did it. Yeah. I love those weapons, too. The weapons they use in the kill thing. It like, just, the, like, explodes their heads off. The soil tilling, uh... <laughs> yeah. Like, yes. Or so soil aerating weapons. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Who and knew? It, it, just it just destroys their heads. I love it. So that's what we're going to do I just love their CRM reaction. Soldiers. It was so funny. <laughs> right, the, C the CRM soldiers stand no chance against it. <laughs> Mario wants us to go to Jada's predictions, basically, and, and Stokes predictions uh first of all why the name stokes because we get that in the preview we don't get that in the episode why does she take on gabriel's last name what do you think is going on here it's a way to remember her friends and her family back in alexandria and judging oh, yeah. by where she is in in the hierarchy it seems like she's really bought into the crm but then why keep the name stokes i mean do you think she really loved gabe maybe it's just a way to remember gabriel she's always gotten close to her even if it's just a name i think that's kind of that's kind of cool also but a little twisted but also kind of cool but then again this world is twisted so still cool mm -hmm. no it would have uh, been really twisted if she took the last name grimes <laughs> i'm just thinking about it right now because <laughs> then that that would give us a bigger nugget wouldn't it <laughs> like whoa what happened <laughs> maybe we're going to see in coming up that she is gung-ho in the crm and whatnot and maybe she just feels like she needs that one little connection to keep her tethered to, to what, what she's she fighting for be. but for a purpose yeah. or for just like a just like a, oh that's what i was not who i am now maybe she's in cahoots with elizabeth or in the same mindset as elizabeth and she's working from the inside wow i, I you know what as of wow yeah, I don't know what to think, to be honest with you. Because I feel like her replacing Elizabeth is a signal that something is awfully wrong with Elizabeth. And I could be wrong. I'm operating off a set of assumptions that says Elizabeth is on the side of the angels. I mean, unless your thing is, oh, no, 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 no. Jadis is here to be on the side of the angels. Elizabeth was replaced by her to sub subvert her evil, evil ways, maybe. I don't know. Well, maybe, I mean, I, I theorized back in season one that Elizabeth was was a fifth column. And maybe Jadis is too. Maybe they've kind of been working together. So, so Jadis is saving the her. same mindset. It could be. Maybe she's okay. getting, much as Elizabeth was getting Huck out of trouble by sending her off to Omaha, maybe uh, Jadis is getting Elizabeth out of trouble by sending her off wherever the heck she sent That her. is cool. I like that because of you, because you used the right analogy. <laughs> To make me understand it. So basically cleaning up Kublik's bolognese mess, basically. Mario saying, I have a feeling she took his last name to remember him. Alani says, would have been totally weird if she chose Dixon for the last... Yes, <laughs> it would be completely out of left field. And Mario says, warrant officers are like... Oh, he did the squawking dead thing. Warrant officers are like all above enlisted soldiers and below all officers. So I'm quite troubled is how will she manage to take control of the whole thing? If that's what she's trying to do. Well, that's not unusual because 
Corporal is below Staff Sergeant, and yet Kublik had placed her trust in Corporal Pierce, perhaps over her own daughter. Because I do think she knows that Huck is uncovering Kublik's secrets behind her back. And it, there's a lot of body language that's going on that shows that that's the case uh, as she's being called to question. And then eventually they go to lunch anyway. But if that's the case and there is a reflection going on, then maybe Warrant Officer Stokes uh, or is like Corporate Pierce is there's a little mirroring there. This is too early to tell. <laughs> <laughs> I, we're now we're just flying by the seat of our pants here but but yeah, it would be kind of cool if it was like that though the reunion between silence and the other kids oh since we're on there yeah yeah what did you guys think we can go on the iris hate right here yeah. because percy's like wait wait a second wait yeah. a second let the other kids get away yeah. and iris is like oh i don't have time for that and just shoves her way like iris what are you doing wait five Seconds, seconds for these other people to walk away. Yeah. <sighs> I, I, and then, I, I, and then she's telling Silas about it, and she's like, "Well, I don't have any proof, but I just know. I just, I just know. know that this is right." Exactly. Oh, shut up, Iris. <laughs> <sighs> okay, I wish she I did had that for proof. Rachel. That I was channeling Rachel. I, in that I moment. felt it. I felt it. She should just be very proud. I'm just, <laughs> tears in her eyes. Proud. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's exactly what I wrote down about Iris. Just like why. Why are you so arrogant, and why are you putting other people in danger to prove nothing? Here's the other thing. Here's the other thing. She's fucking manipulating Silas. Like, she knows Silas has feelings for her and likes her, and she is using those fucking feelings, even though she knows she's got the hots for Percy over here at Mackin' on Percy, but at the same time, using those feelings to manipulate fucking Silas into doing the shit that he obviously does not really want to do. Right. So, the only fuck, person, her, fuck her and fuck her drawing for manipulating Silas into doing this shit. The only person that actually came up to Silas and, like, gave him a hug and was, like, genuinely happy to see him was Elton. Well, mm-hmm. Percy gave him a hey, big guy, with a slap on the And, and on the Percy butt. was like, good to see you, big guy. Yeah, I, 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 yeah, I didn't really think that was... Th- that thank was you for not really killing my <laughs> uncle. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for not turning out to be my oh, my uncle's murderer. Also, another thing, no one apologized for like basically exiling him from the group. No, one uh, no, like, Iris apologized, didn't she? Yeah, kind of. She, she tears in her eyes apologizing too. She's manipulating him. Is Iris's drawing manipulative or genuine? Because she does say, no matter what happens, if it doesn't turn out that we can get to the door, go away, take care of yourself. So she drew that ahead of time. Not knowing, A, whether she'd be, he'd be at the facility or not. Not knowing whether she'd find him or not. But it also tells you, regardless of the intentions, it also tells you where Iris is at mentally. What she ultimately wants. She ultimately wants all of them together again as a family. Which is why I said what I said at, when they were at the family table having a meeting before Leo goes, yeah, I'm going to tell Lila now, bye. I think Hope recognizes Iris's desire as well, even though she doesn't see the photo. In her saying, well, I don't think we, I don't see that we have any other choice. That's a signal also to Leo. Like, that's not what I want either. I want, I think Leo is kind of acknowledging Hope's hesitation. And then when Huck finally comes up to Leo, it gives him a way out, a third column, let's say. Saying, well, okay, I either leave with, with Iris, I stay and hope is safe in a prison. Here's the third option. And I think Leo's going to take this option because it's a way of get, getting back without having to leave the idea of, of, of abandoning the hopes of saving the future. Do you know what I mean? It's that third option where, oh, let's get rid of the problem. You know, let's uncover the truth and get rid of the problem and still save humanity. And then I can maybe live in a world where I give, where I give my girls an option or freedom of choice, which is like 
again, we, we came into this episode talking about the series of circumstances that allow humanity to thrive or survive or come into existence. And here we are again, the random happenstance of Leo having this third option coming from nowhere to save him his soul, basically. But going back to the, to, to the actual drawing, though, first of all, cute. It was cute. I took a screenshot. It's going to be in the blog. But it, it goes to the question, do you feel like Iris is genuine? Do you think that she's her mission is altruistic? She could have drawn that f- picture for anybody. Well, well, and no, say it right. Like, oh. That fucking picture. Because <laughs> I felt yeah. like saying um, mm-hmm. She could have drawn that fucking picture for anybody. And then like, oh, I, I can see that Silas isn't really feeling this. So let me whip this out and be like, oh, look, I drew this for you. How did you know you were going to find him? How, you know, no, she, she just had but, that drawn and she's like, Oh, let me, well, that's actually my point. Like I, th- I think yeah. she drew it for him, not knowing she would see him, but hearing that he was alive. So I think there is some sort of genuine feeling there. Well, I mean, I think she genuinely, genuinely has feelings for Silas. Okay. Like, I don't, I don't okay. disagree with that. I mean, she, she, she does have emotions and feel things for people. She just lets her, at least in this season, she lets her yeah, goals she just, she eclipse le- that. Right, right. She lets her, her goals overshadow her feelings for everybody, except maybe Hope. Well, and even in this episode, my sister, she says to like the gang in the culling and maintenance facility, she says, my sister won't like not abandon me or something like that. Like, like yeah, my dad will definitely go with me and Hope, uh, sorry, my sister won't go against me. This is as they're trying to convince Silas to go along with the plan, mm-hmm. which... It didn't seem that way in the last episode. It felt like she felt betrayed in the last episode by Hope. But but to maybe to your point, maybe to your point, that they were just saying this in order to convince Silas. But then that's everybody, though. Everybody's in on what Iris is dishing. The mission is more important than your feelings. And yet they're trying to appeal to Silas's feelings. But the, here's the thing. Now, with as much as one can hate Iris, they must also hate Felix, Will, Percy, everybody involved in this, but Elton even to a, a certain extent, because they are along for the ride, most of them enthusiastically. You can tell throughout this episode, though, there, there are some that are looking askant at this plan, two of whom, one more prominently, is Will. Even though he was the very person who was attacked, Will is looking at Felix like, what is up with you, bro? <laughs> like, as he's walking, can I get the name of the soldier? Balls, testosterone, what? <laughs> Let me get that right? Am I- Does he have a name? Yeah, I'll get him for you, baby. Like, what? <laughs> then, he, then he grabs Will's balls and goes, how do you like that, baby? <laughs> okay, all right. I thought it was kind of cute. But then Will looks at him in a way that makes me want to mock it because Will kind of, as he's walking away, Will's kind of like, this guy's, they taught the key, taught the kids in the classroom, be smart and safe. And yet he's not being smart and safe or he's acting not smart and safe. Two times in this episode, I noted uh, moments where Will is just kind of like, I don't think he's being smart or safe. Mm-hmm. Which two times? Because I count three times. It was right at that moment where, with the name of the soldier and blah, 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 Will looks at Felix Worley, says it's their turn to lose, and I'm going to make damn sure they do. At the perimeter, just about when we leave. You feel what I'm feeling, though, right? Like, you see Will yeah. look at Felix kind of like, I'm the, I'm the one who was attacked. I could handle myself. Let's just do this smart, which is kind of like all our mm-hmm. criticisms against this. Why aren't we doing this smart and safe like you say, the little bubble in Campus Colony? Elton says something very cool to Asha before they have their little moment where you thought they were going to kiss, but he can see why they... Elton, whatever. But Elton says something about per- people making decisions. We all make our decisions, even if even if we decide to do nothing. That's a decision. And I liked this conversation because it, it puts me exactly where I thought Elton would be 
in the middle, Socratically. The more you know, the less you really do know. The more I know, the more I know nothing. That's Elton in a nutshell right now. He came into the series being the, this verbose, studied person, finding out later on that, that Hope and Iris are super geniuses. So what does that make Elton? I feel like I don't know anything. You know, he goes out into the world. He, he doesn't know what Hall ass is. He's, no, he's figuring out that he doesn't know a lot of things. <laughs> mm -hmm. I like it because in this episode, he's like, I'm figuring out that that's the way the world is for me. And I'm, I'm okay being a dummy. <laughs> And there's a certain sense of satisfaction that it gets from it. It's like, I, I went into the world thinking one thing, and the world taught me a whole other thing. And I'm finding, I'm trying to find my way through it. And, uh, and I, like, I like this conversation, accepting people's desires to, to do what they want to do and not get in their way. I, I kind of like their little conversation. What, did you guys get anything out of that, too, besides, I'm into you, Asha? <laughs> and she's into him back, <laughs> I think. I think it's safe to say. So Mario says, I don't, I don't like the fact that they are on personal revenge against the force that they can't handle. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Silas is too good for Iris anyway. Of course. That, that touches on a theme that we talk about in season four of Fear. How all it took was for one person to step up and story about Twisted Round. Al's story about Twisted Round. All it took is for thing. one person to step forward and tell the truth out loud and the whole thing came crumbling down. So maybe... Ugh, I hope this doesn't happen, but maybe Iris coming forward and saying, look at what they're doing is going to make the whole fucking thing come tumbling down, which, uh, please no. But I yeah. don't think that's going to be the case because Iris seems to be on the trajectory of traditional warfare. Like we're going to like literally hit them with a stick and hope, hope they go crying mommy. <laughs> no, but I, that's, doesn't it feel like that's what she's after in some senses, but, but then what, what's really going to happen? Okay. 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 Let's make both things work. Can't believe this. I can't believe I'm, 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 I can't believe I'm indulging this. Okay. 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 Ready? It's like Ghostbusters 2 when the guys inside are doing all the work to take down Vigo and then Louis Tully comes and everybody's cheering him on. So Louis Tully runs to the <laughs> gates. The, the, the whole museum is in a shell of goo and, and he comes up and he's firing up his proton pack. Meanwhile, the guys inside are doing all the work. Here's my analogy. Okay. And then Louis, by the way, Louis fires his proton pack at the thing and all of a sudden the whole thing cracks wide open. So here's my analogy. Huck is doing all the work on the inside, has the intel that she needs to crack open the key. Iris comes in with her force of three or four people. It's it's the Civic Republic from the outside and it all comes tumbling down. It's like, I did it guys. I did it. I took down the Civic yeah. Republic military. Oh uh -huh. uh, yeah, I did it all by myself. <laughs> Meanwhile, uh -huh. glory to God. And then she gets all the glory too. That would be a kicker. <laughs> <sighs> and the Ricks movies will no. cite her as the savior of humanity. Iris Bennett, savior <sighs> of humanity. Like Louis Tully, savior of New York City. <laughs> if that happens, can we, can we cancel World Beyond? No. Right. No, we have to venerate it now because we, we predicted it. Thank you no, for... Um, if, you, if, if you endorse this theory, I will cancel Scorpion Dead. <laughs> <laughs> it's everything I've ever dreamed of. Oh, oh, thank God, you. No. And, and hey, if you like what you heard, head over to ratethispodcast.com slash squawking dead. Five stars in eggplant get you to cancel squawking dead. Listen, tell us what you liked, tell us what you don't like, but tell Iris. us after every episode. Yeah, well, if you don't like Iris, tell us you don't like Iris. <laughs> Five stars and I don't like Iris. <laughs> or one star and cancel squawking dead. Either way, tell everybody, tell the world after after every episode. It really, really makes a difference. Sharing these podcasts makes it makes a difference. Whether it's on on audio or video on YouTube mainly get people to subscribe to our podcast on YouTube subscribe on Spotify Apple Podcasts wherever podcasts are listened to 
do that. It really helps. It doesn't cost a thing too. And it gets us to be free to do this on the regular for everybody to enjoy and not make us want to quit or be canceled. Or, although getting canceled, that would be glorious. But if you really like what we're doing and you want to maybe join the conversation like Alania and Mario did in the chat, or be a part of our Discord by joining a membership tier. Forget all the joining the membership tiers. Forget forget buying us a coffee. Just follow us at ko-fi.com slash squawkingdead. When you want to join in on something cool, you can hop on in. You can tip us, buy us a coffee, and get 30 days of supported back content. Or you can join a membership tier for as little as a dollar. And even that dollar gets you access to our Discord. So just like Mario. Who I got to have a nice little back and forth about this very episode <laughs> when we finally saw it. In any case, I've been hosting the cameo, and I'm joined by Sharon D, aka Blazy Gardner, and Jenna, enthusiast, extraordinaire, survivors tier member, Jasmine T. <laughs> don't don't add the T. Too late. <laughs> Next time. I'll see you soon, folks. Thank you for enjoying this episode, which felt like a season finale, but hey, we're still going. We got that's great though. That's great. I love that this wasn't a season finale and it felt like a season felt like a mid-season finale. Number five, still alive. We'll see you in the next one. Glad, hopeful, and encouraged by this episode. Thank you, and good evening or morning, wherever the fuck you are. <laughs> good night. Bye. Oh yeah, bye. Right, Jasmine? <laughs> bye. <laughs>
what we spoke about because sometimes we do expand on some thoughts that we have during the episode that don't quite make the cut because they're either too ancillary or we get into it uh, a little too hardcore for this particular episode or sometimes we'll go into personal stories tangents uh, as well as background uh, our own background our history we'll go behind the scenes say things that we really shouldn't be saying and we don't allow uh, us to say in the final edit but you get to hear it because you are the spicy spicy support system well you can tip us and get 30 days of ac- access to support about content or you can join our membership tiers for as little as a dollar a month and that even that gets you discord access to have in the inside track on some of our discussions but in any case I've been your host, David Cameo, and I cannot wait to see you in the next one. Already in the can, just needs to be edited. Take care, everybody. We'll see you very soon. And either way, thank you so much for listening.